Welcome to the official podcast of the 29th Annual First Conference, being held June 11th through 16th in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, visit www.first.org. And now we join our interview in progress. show i'm talking to lewis philby cybersecurity lead at shorevine welcome to the show lewis thanks chris so i really appreciate you taking the time to have a quick chat with us shorevine is, is one of the sponsors and you were a sponsor as well in previous years at the first conference and you're joining us today to talk a little bit about the limits of, of trust and information sharing within the community can you kind of go into a little bit of depth what, what do you mean by the limits of trust to information sharing yes yeah, so i suppose it's the um yeah everyone has uh sharing uh, groups uh, trust groups where they share information um, and they have very different levels of uh, trust within those groups and uh, it doesn't take much for those groups to uh, to splinter or fracture you know someone new joins the group uh, and then suddenly actually the level of trust and, and the sharing that happens within that can change quite dramatically so it's this idea that actually it's never as simple as just saying i can share this information with this community because actually there will be differing levels of, of how much you trust different teams or individuals within that. So the, you end up with this sort of complex trust and sharing uh, setup where actually you may have to share in multiple different locations to multiple different groups to actually just get one message out there. So it does make sharing information very complex, especially if, if you have different groups that you trust to different degrees. I guess that makes a change on how much information you'd be sharing. So maybe you publicly share very limited information and then within specific groups you'd share gradually, gradually more. It's becoming increasingly difficult to know who you can trust with that information, becoming almost a full-time job to say who you need to share that information with. Yeah, and um, large entities, you know, national certs will have teams that are, are, are set up to manage relationships, to manage um, those sort of trust setups. Um, but for for businesses and for smaller entities, it's not it's not feasible to to have a whole team set up to manage that trust setup. You know, you have to kind of work with uh, what you're able to do. So you you tend to focus in on those high value. Uh, high trust setups and actually uh, might limit how much you'll start to share with the sort of wider community, which is obviously a loss. So I guess the question is, I mean, if you're if you're new to the industry, you're you're just you're setting up a company or you're a company that's looking to get in on this kind of information sharing. It's often very hard to get into the trust zone, right? You're you're, you're currently outside the bubble and you need to get in somehow. I gather this is kind of a, a web of trust situation where you need to speak to a number of people who are already in, in the know and then try and leverage your way onto the inside. How difficult is that realistically for, for an unknown entity? Well, obviously, when you're starting out, one of the challenges is, you know, who can you talk to? Who Who is the best people to talk to about uh, cybersecurity incidents or sharing indicators? And, and obviously, um, so in the UK, we have uh, the new National Cybersecurity Centre. You know, they're, they're obviously a great place to start. There's a um, community there called Cybersecurity Information Sharing Partnership, which um, you know, Shorevine are uh, involved with, just to disclose that. But it's it's one of those ways where actually you you have to you have to start somewhere, and actually reaching out to your national cert is a great place to start building that conversation, and hopefully they can point you to either a local regional group or even to their own setup, which helps businesses to or businesses and entities to to start integrating with the community and start being able to trust and share information. 
I guess on the flip side is is obviously a conversation every large organization or even small organizations have about what information they share back. Um, working for, for a large company, you often see things that wouldn't necessarily be currently public knowledge or even knowledge within those kind of uh, sharing partnerships for, for different organizations. How difficult is it for those companies and those organizations to really rate the information that they have and know what they can share onwards? It's always a... You know, you don't know what you've got until someone else remarks upon it and says, "Oh, that that piece of information you that you happened to share turns out it was the you know the the brand new piece of the puzzle that we needed to to unmask a, a whole new badness." So it is difficult to draw that line between when to share and when not to share. It's it's often the problem, I guess. You you only see part of the puzzle, and then you, you have to share onwards with trust that someone else may use that puzzle piece to to explain what's going on on their networks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it'd be, you know, if you're in a position where actually you knew exactly which piece of information was going to be most useful, that would, yeah, that would have all this trust and sharing solved. But uh, yeah, nobody's got that kind of foresight or that insight. So you have to, you have to share willingly and show some trust to then actually, um, hopefully in the future, get the good value back from that. I guess that, that raises the question of if you don't know the value of that data until you've already shared it, you could end up being in a situation where you're sharing literally everything. So, I mean, w- within reason, things that don't breach your your PII, things that don't don't breach your your policies, but but you're sharing a lot of information to to the group, and that quickly kind of piles up. I can imagine there being quite a lot of information that tends to be uh, quite high signal to noise ratio. Yeah, I can imagine if you're, you know, if we go back to a person that's new to the new to the community, new to cybersecurity sharing, it's really difficult to tell what's going to be a value and what is just you know, high volume port scan logs or um, you know the latest phishing email. Um, so there's definitely uh, where there is where there's an established sort of community and, and a trust set up actually being able to help inform and educate people to say, um, you know, we don't need to see absolutely every uh, phishing email, but if it's new, if it's different, if there's actually something that just doesn't seem, uh, that makes it stand out from all the rest, then that's probably worth sharing. When it comes to some of the private and niche kind of groups, are they sharing the same kind of level of data, the same kind of amount, or or do you see it becoming a lot more filtered when you get to those kind of levels where they're only sharing very, very highly specific indicators of compromise, whether that be nation state or specific threat actors? I think that's probably the interesting thing about the the different trust groups and I mentioned earlier about when someone new joins a group and it, it splinters is you never know if you're seeing the whole picture or if there is you know a, another group which has more information and that's you know, <laughs> get quite paranoid about this sort of thing about how much sharing is going on that you don't get to see but certainly in the you know, in some of the groups I'm involved with where there's a high amount of trust yeah you are sharing a huge amount of information but at the same time you don't know what you're missing out on because they actually might have more information that they're holding back because it's more sensitive. But you just sort of you know, have to work on a, a trust and openness basis and uh, hopefully you have that uh, that sort of um, uh, community where that sharing happens and is at the right level. A lot of companies out there now that are making their living, whether they be startups or existing companies, on, on sharing this kind of information for being the central source of uh, threat intelligence in, in air quotes – do you do you feel like that's affecting the level of information that we're sharing openly? Uh, it, it's kind of that becomes product at that point where companies may be taking that information and then charging their customers for it instead of uh, embracing the open sharing of of these kind of communities. 
yeah, it's interesting when you get into the the commercial space of threat intelligence because uh, there's only really so many permutations of IP address and port, and you know, the, the, there's a finite amount for a lot of the volume you know, attacks that happen. There's, there's only so many permutations it can be, and, and a lot of those have a, a limited time span as well. Um, you know, the, an IOC might only be good for a matter of hours, but then you get into you know, when you start looking at some of the work that goes into highly sophisticated threat actors, um, their their MOs and their campaign plans and, and how that information is brought together. So there's definitely an interesting space where uh, commercial entities are, um, are turning threat intelligence into, like you say, a product. But I think what's really great about the community, and, and First is a great example of this, is is actually that openness to share and say, you know, we've found some stuff or, or there's a there's an attack going on here's here's what we know about it it's quite interesting the the whole threat actor information is that as you mentioned some of it can be very short-lived some of it can be very generic certain ports certain certain ip addresses which depending on what you're trying to protect against may have limited value and then you have at the other end of the scale very very highly specific targeted stuff which um I can imagine for for a majority of companies being not particularly interesting for their specific threat model. Obviously, there's there's a lot of large companies out there that do specifically cater and, and have those kind of adversaries. But your average mum and pop shop or or your average organization wouldn't necessarily be concerned about what the latest Russian threat actors are performing. Yeah, and that that hugely speaks to again that sort of education and awareness piece about people understanding uh, what's an appropriate risk profile. Uh, and just because it's on the you know the front page of the media and there's a there's a brand new highly sophisticated attacker doesn't mean that's the threat that's actually going to impact your networks um you know if you haven't got the basic levels of you know cyber hygiene if you haven't got uh, basic security measures that's probably more of an immediate problem well i mean surely you should only you should only pay attention to the vulnerabilities that have cool names because those are the ones that are the real threat yeah, I understand that's a that's a rule that's come out in the industry. <laughs> it seems to be. I think people are actually going back and, and giving names to vulnerabilities that have been out for a while just to get more publicity. But uh, it, it's unfortunately true. I mean, I think there was some research done in the last six months where um, a researcher gave a name to a vulnerability around a week after he'd released it. And he found that as soon as he gave a name to it, the traffic that was driven to the site was a hundredfold than it was previously. So it's it's sad to say that it does actually seem to get the, the word out there. Yeah, and I think for me, that's where actually having these good trust sharing groups where you can actually have a conversation around the um, the threats or the IOCs actually have a, have a decent discussion about what it is that you're seeing or not seeing that gives that context. That makes the difference between whether should you pay attention to it because it's got a, uh, you know, a cool name or is it something actually that isn't relevant for your risk profile and actually you can move on to, to other issues. Especially when your your CSO or your your CTO comes to you and says, "What are we doing about the latest Poodle vulnerability or Cloudburst or, or whatever the, the the latest names are over the recent couple of months?" It's it's good to have that information to hand and say, "This doesn't relate to us," or "This has already been addressed." Yeah, and being able to certainly explain to board members that sort of uh, C C level executive when something is and isn't a problem is uh, is almost a talent in itself. So I would highly recommend to, to all people listening to the podcast to, to spend some time at the first conference to network, discuss with other teams about information sharing. I hope that uh, Shawvine will be on site as well. So so certainly it's some interesting discussions to be had there. Yeah, we'll be on site. We're sponsoring the uh, welcome reception on the Sunday night and I'll be there. So hope to meet a lot of you then. 
Great. I look forward to uh, to seeing you on site, having some discussions about uh, threat intelligence and data sharing specifically within, within uh, limited communities. So I look forward to it. Thanks, Chris. You've been listening to the official podcast for the 29th annual first conference being held June 11th to the 16th in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to www.first.org. And thank you very much for listening. Shut down the sequence.